Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara, and this is Joe. Hey! It's so great to hear your voice, Joe. It's been, feels like it's been a really long time. It has been a long time, and I have been so distant from NBA haps this summer. So it's nice to be back, and I'm going to learn a lot tonight, I feel like, because I just haven't been paying attention. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to get right into it. Tonight, we're actually joined by our friends from the Holy Backboard, Dustin and Sage. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. It's 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 super hard for me not to interrupt and talk about whatever. So it's fun to be the guest on a podcast, not running it yourself. <laughs> it's a little less stressful, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm used to it. I, I, I thrive under pressure. <laughs> oh, good. Maybe we should ask you some really hard math questions. Oh, I mean, if you want to just embarrass me in front of all of the people that listen to Blazer's Edge podcast, you sure could. Well, maybe you guys can be on the show more often because Tara's going to need help because I'm about to leave for three months. So I'll, you guys can. We'd be happy to. <laughs> Hang out and get awesome. a group down. <laughs> well, you know, this is so this is our going to be our second annual Northwest Division preview. Happy to do this with you. Last year, we did a division preview. And you know what? A lot of time has passed. I don't remember a lot about it. All I remember was last year, I was terrified of the Timberwolves. And I was wrong last year. I have a feeling I would not be wrong this year. I was going to say, you were terrified last year? What are you Yeah, I now? was. I thought last year, I thought last year with Thibodeau, they were just going to like play crushing defense and they were just going to roll all over everybody. Shows how much I know. Man, I am terrified of them this year. I will say it now. It'll, it, I can be the one that say, says it this year, I guess. I am terrified mm -hmm. of the Timberwolves. I, I remember I said that the Nuggets were going to be better than everyone thought. So that's, that's, that's what I'm proud about. So do you think they were better than everyone thought? I remember someone saying that they were going to be the worst team in the division, not throwing anybody under the bus that I do a podcast with. <laughs> uh, that's all right. They still weren't a threat. They still weren't a threat. Just like Nurk said, we're going to wish them a happy summer once again. <laughs> Dustin, do you remember what your uh, what what your last year's Northwest Division uh, a big uh, hot take was? Yeah, I thought the Blazers were going to start off decent, but pick it up because they, as we remember, they had that huge home friendly back half of, of the schedule coming up. And I thought they would run away with the division. I mean, to all everyone's surprise, they came out without that chip on their shoulder that was the catalyst for that 2015, you know, surprise run and or the 2016 surprise run and they didn't uh play with that intensity all year round and they picked up a little bit late but by then the jazz were you know had things rolling and took the division quite easily so i was a little bummed the blazers uh, let me down last year um i, I do want to say i remember that i said that i thought that they would win 45 games and i was not correct that's all i remember from last year <laughs> 
Well, let's jump in. Joe, do you want to start us off with um, telling us a little bit, giving us a recap of the teams, and then we'll start talking about them individually? Yeah, so what we're going to do here is we're just going to give a little bit of basic information. So I'm going to tell you guys, you probably you might already know, but I'm super forgetful. So it's a good refresher for me of what each team's record was last year, where they finished in both the West and the North, the Western Conference and the Northwest Division. And then some are uh, the arrivals and departures for each team. And because I am most excited about the Timberwolves, I really mm-hmm. want to start with them because... I love Jimmy Bucket so much. So I kind of want to go that route. So last season they were 31 and 51. So 31 wins, 51 losses, which meant they were 13th in the Western Conference and fifth in the Northwest Division. And so they just, their arrivals this year are Marcus Georges Hunt, Jimmy Butler, Jamal Crawford, Todd Gibson, Jeff Teague, and Justin Patton. And departures are Ricky Rubio, Omri Caspi, Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, Jordan Hill, Shabazz Muhammad, Adrian Payne, and Brandon Rush. So, what do you guys think is going to happen? Well, Sage, didn't they actually somehow bring back Shabazz Muhammad? Yeah, I they, think... they they brought him back. I It might have been for a player option. I have no idea. But Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even I saw on Twitter, I like, they're in like serious talks and bringing him back which is yeah, seems they, insane did, since there's no role for him yeah i think yet? what they okay. did is at the beginning of free agency they wanted the space so they declined his option making him an unrestricted free agent well the money dried up in the market unlike last year where it was you know free spending so the the market was pretty dry he didn't really have a suitor there was rumors the lakers might swoop in but he ended up coming back on a pretty friendly contract uh, to the Timberwolves. So it'll be interesting to see where there is time because they have Jamal Crawford. They have Jeff Teague. uh, They have Jimmy Butler. They have Andrew Wiggins. There are a lot of perimeter players out there. And Muhammad is, you know, he was in a 2013 draft pick. I think he got taken two or three spots ahead of CJ McCollum. So it's going to be interesting to see how Thibodeau really works that, that guard rotation. I think that's going to define how successful the Timberwolves are this year. Let's start off with the Timberwolves uh, talking about like, what do you think are going to be uh, the key strengths for the team for the Timberwolves this year? Where'd start? <laughs> Sage, this is all you, bud. <laughs> oh, thanks, bro. Um, I mean, they have what seems to be two and a half star players. So that's always good to have. I really like Jimmy Butler as a player, but the narrative of him being a good defender is kind of wrong since he ha- he was a great defender when he was a role player, but once he became like a superstar, his defense was pretty awful. If you remember the Blazers Bulls game, he was leaving Alan Crabb wide open in his spots the ho- entire game, so he hasn't been a good defender in a while. So I, th- I think the big weakness for them, because I'm so negative, is uh, defense and then three point shooting. Who is their best three point shooter? Cat. I mean, yeah, we're talking strengths. It's got to be Carl Anthony Towns. He's one of the top three best centers in the game, if not the best, easily the one you want to build around. If you're an NBA general manager, he can just make so many things happen after that tremendous rookie year where he looked like he was going to surpass Anthony Davis as that new next best big. He kind of took a while to get into rhythm. I mean, his defense suffered a bit last year. He wasn't the type of player most thought he was going to be 
Uh, in April, he started to pick his game up, but the games were meaningless at that time. So while he is their strength, he is going to have to play like an all-star this year for this team to live up to their expectations. And this is a franchise that hasn't made the playoffs since 2004 when Kevin Garnett led them to the Western Conference Finals. So they have had a drought of over 13 years. So while they have a lot of talent on paper, I expect a slower start from this team because they're incorporating, I mean, as Joe listed off all of those new additions, that is a lot of new pieces to the puzzle to work in. And we saw how tough it was for just Evan Turner to work in. That was just one player into an already, I would say, you know, a strong foundation. They are listing three or four, sometimes five new guys. It's going to take them quite a while. So look for a slower start for Minnesota. But if they get it going, they have arguably the most talent of any team in the division. So I got to defend Jimmy Butler a little here because I love Jimmy Butler. Oh, I but do too. I, but I, <laughs> I think that he's going to bring a lot, even just from like a leadership factor. Like I think he's really looking to lead. I think he's got more experience than Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins. And I think he's going to obviously be able to lead them in that regard. Um, He's, I think he's a super hard worker. So I think he's just going to do whatever it takes to fulfill whatever role they need him to. And if that's amping up his defense, then sure. But I mean, I think he's a decent two way player. He's a phenomenal playmaker. Like he just, I think he brings a lot. And I think his leadership alone is going to affect them a lot. And I think they're, I don't get me wrong, it takes every team a little bit of time to, to incorporate new players and get into a rhythm with each other. But I think it's not going to be as difficult as some might expect. That's just my opinion. I, I mean, I totally agree with all of those aspects of Jimmy Butler. I just don't think the narrative of him being an elite defender is still true just because, I mean, running an offense, being a playmaker is pretty taxing on your energy so he can't go all out yeah. for 36, 38 minutes on defense when he has to initiate the offense. Because I, I don't think Jeff Teague is elite. I also want to see how he does uh, as a team leader. Uh, his Chicago Bulls teams in the past few years, they haven't really stood out. I mean, they haven't. the Bulls haven't been elite since Derrick Rose was pre, pre-injury. Uh, and then Butler kind of took the reins as the face of the franchise. And the Bulls never got off the ground. Um, Minnesota traded that seventh pick and two young players for him to be the face of a franchise with a call, Anthony Towns. So this is, to me, a make or break year for Jimmy Butler in terms of being a true superstar. Joe said it. He's a great two-way player, but I don't I don't think I would necessarily put him on the superstar echelon right now. He's a good second-tier star, but he needs to prove to me that he's a superstar by leading the Timberwolves into the playoffs and getting a strong seed because they have the coaching and they have the talent to do it. I can agree with that. Um, the other thing I'm super, I love about this is I love the addition of Crawford just because I love him. And I think he's, he adds something to everyone's bench, no matter what team you are. Uh, so I think that's another strong point that they've got going for them. Well, yeah. Maybe Jamal also feels Crawford the need. and Jamal Crawford and Taj Gibson are the uh, are the sleeper additions on mine. I don't I the, those older guys, you know, have a lot of experience. And I just remember um, Taj Gibson doing such a great job of his uh, locating himself on the floor and the way, you know, uh, he uh, does screens and 
just I just remember the Blazers just running straight into his gut for an entire game because he was always right in that position. And so that's going to be super valuable for for the young players who were maybe last year trying to wrap their heads around uh, Thibodeau's uh, defense. And then there's just Jamal Crawford, who no matter what, you put him in and he gets buckets and he will. And somehow he manages to look younger every year. And how many times has he been six man of the year? Like, I re- I'm really asking because I forgot. I think <laughs> it's what, what, three times, Sage? I don't know. Uh. <laughs> so, Joe, what scares you the most about the Timberwolves? Um, I just I think they have a c- pretty unique combination of youth and experience. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they've they've got those veteran players that are going to add quite a bit to it. But they also have the youth and athleticism of like Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins. And it's not like Jimmy Butler's that old either. So it's I just think they've it's a good combination. I think it'll work well for them. I'm curious if you guys have an opinion about Andrew Wiggins and in, in especially like what is it? What is his special talent that Andrew Wiggins is so valuable for? Getting to the line. I mean, he gets to the line like eight times a, a game. I mean, if you look at his stats, he doesn't contribute rebounding, which is, should be a, is a shame since he's so athletically gifted. What he does is get to the line and gets buckets there. Wiggins is the type of player who, to me, in my eyes, is always going to kind of fall victim to the hype. He was thought of as the next guy when he was taken and number one in that 2014 draft, a lot of players in that 2014 draft were labeled as like can't miss. And obviously Minnesota swung the deal, taking trading Kevin Love and acquiring him. But you know, it's, it's tough to peel, peel back that hype and, and see that he is only 21 years old going on 22 and he is putting up over 20 points per game. So he's definitely not a bust by any means. Uh, I just want to see more from Wiggins. I think if any one player is going to benefit from Jimmy Butler, it's Andrew Wiggins. Wiggins now needs to really hone in on the weaker defender on the wing that's going to be guarding him and really attack the rack. Um, It's going to take time for him to become an effective three-point specialist. He only shot 33% from the the three-point line his entire career. And as the game evolves into essentially space and and shred he's gonna have to master that shot but for this year i would like to see him work on his post-up game hit the mid-range and just look for his teammates right now it seems like he's kind of just one-dimensional in offense like he's a poor man's demar Derozan in my eyes right now i was thinking rudy gay but demar's a good one too thanks bud oh they just did a virtual fist bump (laughs) that was nice you guys well done Well, let's talk about the how people can uh, will be able to beat the Timberwolves this year. What do you think is going to be the secret to getting a win over this team that looks super talented? I mean, I think first and foremost, if you have a defender that can hold their own against Carl Anthony Towns, that's going to be a huge benefit for your defense because Towns, what caught my eye his rookie year was how special of a passer he is, especially out of that double team. So it really makes it difficult. It is almost like a pick your poison when it comes with towns. But if you have a big defender who can hold their own against him and force Minnesota to stand around the perimeter, you're going to have a great chance. Speaking of the perimeter, that's where you want to see these Timberwolves. Like Sage said, towns is probably their best three point shooter. So if he's out there, that's even better. But I would, I could live with Butler Teague and Wiggins teeing it up from three. Yep. Anybody got anything else to add? That's pretty straightforward. 
I'm wondering about when you say, um, you know, having the the right kind of person on Carl Anthony Towns. Do the Blazers have the potential to have the right kind of defender on Carl Anthony Towns? Do you think Nurkic uh, will be able to handle him? It's interesting because we haven't seen this new Nurkic. He looks so physically lean and still strong um, through all these workouts. So it's it's hard to compare with what we saw in the 2017 season versus what we could potentially see. But he is strong enough. He's definitely not as quick as Towns, so he's going to have to play off of him a little bit and make Towns beat him with the jump shot. But he has shown... I think a a quick development and learning of the defensive game. I didn't think he was going to be this strong of a defender when we acquired him from Denver, but he's shown a great ability to be a weak side shot blocker, a great rebounder. He doesn't let guys beat him on the glass, which is super important, especially when you're playing teams in this division on the road, limit them to one opportunity. So good news. Yes, we have it in Nurkic. The bad news after Nurkic, our, our center defense and offense kind of really drops off the map. Do you guys have any wild card uh, storylines you're watching with the Minnesota Timberwolves? Any of you? I bet the under in their win loss in Vegas. What was their win loss age? I think it was around 50. So I bet the under because I don't think they'll be as good as everyone th- says they will. I made I made three bets: Pelicans over, Rockets under, and then Timberwolves under. What were the Pelicans? That was like 39. And you bet the over on that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and what was the, the third one? Uh, the Rockets, Rockets yeah. And what did you take on that? Under. And what was their, what was the I, uh, line? I think it was like, one sec. <laughs> I don't remember Yeah, cut that. that out. Put him on the spot. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think it all boils down to Jeff Teague. Can he lead this team? Um, he's played in a couple of Eastern Conference Finals with, with the Hawks. Didn't really do much as the lead guard in Indiana, in Indiana, um, but he's really he signed that big free agent deal. He's replacing long, long standby point guard Ricky Rubio. So can Teague one as the point guard get all of these people involved? I mean, Wiggins needs the ball to be effective. Butler needs the ball to be effective, and so does Towns. Those are a lot of mouths to feed. So how can he do that? He's he's more known as a scoring point guard. He's going to have to really be just like pass first, traditional point guard, and then pick his spots. So I think the wins will be based upon how Jeff Teague can really put his mark, put his imprint on, on this offense. All right. Awesome. Well, you brought up Ricky Rubio, so I think that's a nice way to segue into uh, the Utah Jazz because that's where he's at now. So uh, he's one of their arrivals. So let's move on to Utah. Their last season record was 51 and 31, which was fifth in the West and first in the Northwest. And their arrivals are Jarebko, Rubio, Cephalosha, Udo, Royce O'Neal, Tony Bradley, Donovan Mitchell. And then they've got departures in Boris Diaw, Gordon Hayward, which hurts, uh, George Hill, Trey Lyles, Shelvin Mack, and Jeff Withy. So let's discuss. Donovan Mitchell is the good rookie, right? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> you mean of of the rookies on Utah or just of all the rookies in general? <laughs> no. Qualify on, that good. On I I said on the holy backboard the uh the good rookie is going to be um 
pretty successful in that offense because he he looks for real in like I wasn't gonna say summer league, but I think he's a really good player. I've seen him in college, but apparently I don't remember his name really well. So what are the, what are the strengths of Utah now? I mean, that's a lot of turnover. That was a long list of people that Joe read off. What are what are the strengths of Utah despite the departure of their biggest star? I mean, I still think defensively they're going to be a strong team. Rubio is a yeah. pretty decent defender. Gobert is always a defensive player of the year candidate. Derek Favors can play good D. Um, Donovan Mitchell is known for his defense, was a menace in summer league. Both summer leagues he played in looked really good. That's a skill that translates over into the league. Um, you mentioned they picked up Cephalosha. That's been his calling card over the course of his career, um, especially in Oklahoma City. Um, and even Exum plays good defense. Defense will never go out of style in Utah as long as Gobert and Quinn Snyder are there. Another and- strength, they have an amazing home court advantage. So it's, it's Yeah, sorry, Sage. <laughs> They are going to be a nightmare to play regardless. It could be a team full of eighth graders and the Delta Center is going to be a difficult venue to play. And it always has been and always will be. I love when small market teams like Portland, like Utah, even Oklahoma City really come out and support their team year round. And that's what you're going to see this year. It's going to be no different. I think one another one of their strengths is that um, from I mean, I don't know a lot about their personal relationship, but I hear a lot about the chemistry that Rubio has with Gobert and how that can be, um, you know, I mean, I think off the court. Right. I think I I've been hearing things. So tell me if I'm wrong. And so if they have great chemistry off the court and they can marry that together with their games, like I think that would be a, a great strength as well. Yeah, it looked like at least during free agency, Gobert was the face of the franchise. He was the one out there on Twitter recruiting Gordon Hayward to stay. He was interacting with all the other players trying to recruit Hayward. He seemed to really put Utah on his back. It looks like he's kind of doing what Dame did in Portland and wants to be the face of that franchise. And when you see somebody leave like Hayward, that was their star player, it's great to know that you're your next best your next best guy is all in. And so he is a building block, one of the most unique players in the league that they can build around. So all is not lost in Utah. Do you think their pace will be really slow to uh uh basically be the new grit and grind defense? That's tough. I feel like you're hampering Ricky Rubio by going slow. He needs to push the tempo. That was that's where he thrives is in the open court. That's a really interesting question because last year they were the slowest. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ricky's going to get them into positions where Mitchell looks good, Rodney Hood looks good, Derek Favors gets in his spots. So it, it should be interesting to see what Ricky Rubio can do with this new, uh, his new talent that's surrounding him. I have this this theory that has been developing over the last couple of years. When teams lose their major franchise player, they're going to outperform expectations the following year. You see that happening for Utah? I don't think they're going to get 51 wins, nor do I think they're going to win the Northwest Division. But I do think they're going to be a tough out night in and night out. Uh, They will be um, a very good team. Even if they finish last in the division, that's nothing to really feel sorry about because I think, in my opinion, the Northwest Division is easily the most difficult division mm-hmm. in basketball, and it's going to be a hotly contested race all, all year. And I think you're completely correct. It, they are going to outperform expectations, but they won't be as good as they were last year. So what do you think is going to be the key to beating them? Is it just going to be a- attacking uh, and trying to find out 
where they haven't put it together as a new unit yet? Or what else? Do you, what do you think people could do to uh, beat Utah this year? I think teams with really good guards are going to have their way with the Jazz. I mean, we saw, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, Damon CJ combined for, I think, like 64 points. Their starting backcourt had 27. Um, it was some obscure number like that. But guards are going to be able to dominate the game against Utah, especially if you're able to pull Gobert out of the paint, make him play pick and roll. Um, even better if you have a big that can keep him honest on the defensive end of the floor. And quite frankly, if you just don't go cold, Utah mm-hmm. is a team that that wants to the game in the 80s. If you can push the tempo, get your guys out, fast break points are going to be huge, um, getting to the foul line, getting any type of points you can, because I think you can beat Utah scoring 90 or 95. They're going to struggle mightily on the offensive end of the floor. So if you can just take your time, don't beat yourself, and just make them work on defense. They are so good defensively. Don't give them many outs. Don't shoot you know, long contested jumpers early in the shot clock. Just play solid, fundamental basketball, and you're going to have a better chance to beat this team. I was going to say they're so strong and steady defensively. Like, they're just – they're really steady, in my opinion. Um, that's the best word I can think of for it. And so just pepper them with stellar offense, right? That's that's kind of your only way around it. And then, obviously, playing great defense against them. You got it. Sage, do you have any additional thoughts on how to beat? Uh, Sage, do you have any other thoughts on ways to beat the Utah Jazz this season? I think take advantage of Rodney Hood's pretty crappy defense. I mean, we have two guards that are super dynamic with the ball in their hands. If CJ happens to be matched up with them, that's it's a it's CJ time, and then you know win at home because going to Utah's kind of a pain in the ass. I'm I'm curious about Ricky Rubio and if we're going to see any added dimensions to his game with a different cast around him, um, if a, a different coach is going to, um, you know, see some things in him. I feel like the last few years, like Ricky Rubio was always on the trading block. And at some point he probably started to feel like, what am I going to go or am I going to stay? And I I think it's likely that we might see a little bit of looseness and freedom from him now that like it's happened (laughs) and he doesn't have to worry about it, at least for a while anymore. That's kind of my wild card uh, storyline for the Utah Jazz. How about you guys? Do you have a different wild card storyline? For me, it's health. Can can they stay healthy? Derek Favors has been battling a knee injury what seems like forever. Um, Alec Burks, I don't know if he's played even half a season for, for a few years. Uh, Dante Exum um, tore his ACL, and then he was in and out of the lineup last year. Um, and you've got a guy like Joe Johnson who's going into his, his 17th season. Is he going to be able to you know withstand the rigors of another 82 games? You know, Rubio has had injury issues. Uh, Gobert did, not this year, but the year before. So this team, even with Hayward when he was there, they had never really been able to stay fully healthy and put together their, their full squad. They have uh, they have a lot of talent, enough to make the playoffs, but I think it's going to be contingent upon them staying healthy over the course of the 82-game season. I don't know if you saw my face when you said health, but I gave you a pretty bad stink eye. Nice. <laughs> We're going to ask Sage first next time. <laughs> I, 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 did the, I, did the, I did the courtesy pause the last two times. He didn't want to jump in, so I... <laughs> well, I didn't want to interrupt. I'm a nice guy. 
You'd think you guys have been working together for a long time or something. You'd think you'd have these things worked out. <laughs> well, I mean, I like to put the battery in his back and let him go, and then I pepper in some observations. But, you know. What's your wild card then, Sage? I mean, there's got to be, there's more than just health. I want to see what their wings can do. I mean, we haven't seen Alec Burkett in a while, and his salary is pretty high for a guy that's been hurt for a while. Rodney Hood's dealt with his injuries, so I want to see consistency out of the wings. All right. Well, Joe, do you want to take us on to the next team? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to let you guys pick. You want to talk about the Nuggets or OKC next? Let's go Denver. Denver it is. So last season... Denver ended ninth in the West, fourth in the Northwest division. And that was with a record of 40 and 42. And their arrivals are, am I, is it Kansar? Am I saying that right? Tori Craig, Tyler Lydon, Monte Morris, Paul Millsap, and Trey Lyles. And then they lost Gallinari, Roy Hibbert, and Mike Miller. So what do you guys think is going to happen? It should be interesting what they do scheme-wise. Last year, they had a guy named Chris Finch run their offense. And if you look at their stats uh, from December on to the rest of the year, they were the number one offense in the NBA. And it's mainly because they put the ball in Nikolai Jokic's hand. Nikolai Jokic is Joker. They put it in Joker's hands and let him run the offense. And they had a lot of um, wings that were good cutters like Gary Harris and... um, Wilson Chandler, and it, it should be interesting to see if that scheme stays, um, since Chris Finch is now in New Orleans, that's why I know so much about it, um, but I want to see what Paul Millsap and jo- Joker can do together, that seems like a combo made in heaven. Yeah, I think adding Millsap is the story of their offseason, for sure, um, I think it's going to be really, really fun to watch them play together. How does he fit in as a as a piece to what Denver has been doing because I feel like Denver kind of had a few different identities last year they were trying some things on but what came out of it by the end of the season was just people couldn't find enough good things to say about Jokic they just thought that he was like the you know the next coming of the, the next greatest basketball player there was a lot of praise for his game but it was always immediately followed by Oh, except he can't play defense. Oh yeah, he's he, he he's you know, atrocious these national at defense. People just go on and on and on about how amazing he was. Oh, but he can't play defense. Well, he's amazing offensively, and yeah, he's an offensive powerhouse. Yeah, Paul Millsap. If you look at uh, uh, defensive plus minus, oh, real defensive plus minus, he was the third ranked power forward behind Draymond and Anthony Davis. So he he's a very solid defensive player, so hopefully he would uh, cover up Joker's mistakes on the defensive end, grab rebounds, be another playmaker for their team. Because, I mean, if you looked at them last year, Joker was out in the perimeter setting people up with some pretty awesome passes. All right, then, what's going to be the key to beating them? Excellent guard play. I mean, we talk a lot about how great their post players are, and I like Gary Harris as a player, but they don't have a good point guard yet. Emmanuel Moutier has been disappointing as of late, and Jamal Murray looked really good on offense, and I know he had 
an injury last year, a sports hernia, but he doesn't look like he's interested in playing defense at all. So I think Dame and CJ have to get busy against this team. I think you have to beat them up. I mean, we, we saw how Portland beat them up physically. I think it was the late March game. I mean, Nurkic just bodied Jokic down low time and time again. It got to a point where Jokic had no interest in playing that game on defense. Like he wanted no part of Nurk. So if you're a team with a bigger body, a guy like a Boogie Cousins, a Marcus Ole, um, a Nurkic, you go at them inside because that is their, their weak link. Paul Millsap is going to play great defense but he can't cover every aspect of the floor. So there are wink links. Sage mentioned the guards. I think you can attack Jokic down low. Um, you just have to play good basketball, though, because this team is very smart, very highly intelligent. I don't think they're going to beat themselves very often. So while they're a young team, the addition of Millsap really – I think he's going to do wonders just for the, the locker room, just for the mindset of that team. He's going to teach them how to win and try to make a playoff spot. So – if you think you're just going to out-talent the, the Nuggets, it's not going to happen. You have to play a little bit smarter than them, too. And, I mean, with Mike Malone as a defensive guy, I mean, he he and Darren Ehrman crea- uh, created the defense for the team in the Bay Area. So, with Paul Millsap on the squad, I think he's very excited about at least having two and a half good defensive players on that team. Well, I like what I you saw said. what you did there, Sage. Well, yeah, I did it for you. I like what you said about what Millsap brings to the locker room, though, because you're you're just looking at what a four-time All Star, and he signed a multi-year contract. Like he's he's in, invested, right? I mean, biggest how many years was his, his contract? Biggest yeah. one of he's his career, thirty-one point two six million dollars. You know what? Good for him because he took a lot of bargain-based contracts in Utah and in uh, Atlanta. So I'm proud for the for him for making that money. Um, I think it'll be great for Trey Lyles because he's a young big, and I, I can't think of a better vet besides maybe Dirk. Yeah, I just think it's it's going to do wonders for for their team chemistry, like you know his commitment and his longevity there. I did want to ask you guys if you how you feel like two former Blazers are going to fit or how they're going to continue to do for the Nuggets, and that is of course Will Barton and Mason Plumley. So do you think their their roles have changed? Um, what do you think they're going to be able to contribute this year? Has Mace officially well, signed yet? No. Yeah. I was talking to a coworker today, and I was like, because she's a big Mason Plumlee fan, I was like, yo, has, has your boy been signed yet? And she's like, no. And I looked up, and he's he's been out there for a while. What I think will happen is he'll take the Nerlens route. He's probably going to take that one-year qualifying offer, then become an unrestricted free agent next year. But to the minute, like he he's not on the team, so it's tough to say. Um I think Will Barton had a nice run. It's going to be tough with Gary Harris and Malik Beasley and Jamal Murray all playing kind of similar positions. So selfishly, I would love to see Will get moved to a, a more like a change of scenery where, he, where he's able to kind of fly. Um, yeah, play I the way he plays. He still has a lot of talent and he shouldn't be behind so many players. Yeah, I think he's he and Ken Freed are probably going to get traded this year because, I mean, I've, I I have friends that are Denver fans that they've wanted to trade Ken forever, but now they have a legit player that Ken knows he's not better than. So I I I would say those two will be a package deal eventually this year. 
Well, and like you said, they have Trey Lyles who can play that backup four, who still has a lot of upside, who I really liked yeah. um, in Utah. So I was surprised they moved him, although it looked like it was a nice move to get Donovan Mitchell. But it, it will be interesting to see what they get. So they're probably going to move Fareed. I don't think that's in any doubt. But can they upgrade that small forward? Can they upgrade that point guard? Because those are going to be the two weak links for this team this year. Mm-hmm. I feel like they are a team that they they haven't had as much hype as Minnesota has, but I think they're one of those teams that's gotten a lot of national talk, and I think they're a candidate for uh, maybe not finding their rhythm soon enough, and uh, may, maybe a little under. I would like I would take the under on them. I can't remember what their um, what the prediction was, but I kind of feel 45. like forty five point five. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be a lot like the us and the you know it used to be us and the Jazz for a while. I think for a while. now it's gonna be uh, Portland and Denver. We're gonna be circling each other. Um, but when they come back to play us, and when we go to their arena, they are mad, and they're gonna be a really tough, really tough games for the uh, Trailblazers to take on. So it'll be really. I'm interested to see what character comes out with the Trailblazers if they come out like you know fighting mad when they play the Denver Nuggets this year. I'm excited for the J- Joker Nurkic battles. Those are always fun because I go Nurkic and Daily Fantasy, and it has proven very fruitful for me wait you have Jokic or Nurkic 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 he got busy that I mean he frustrated Joker so much and he Joker isn't ready for the angry Nurk (laughs) yeah Nurk was playing with a chip on his shoulder and that's what he's he's always gonna do that every time he sees Denver on the schedule Mm mm-hmm every time he sees Denver or every time he sees a Mike Malone coach team I'm assuming (laughs) any other um wild card stories with the uh, nugget, uh, the Nuggets. It, it's all going to come from internal growth. So they have a lot of young players. We've we've talked about Jamal Murray. We've we've talked about Jokic it, and Gary Harris. How well Denver will do, I think, will be based upon those three. How how big of a jump are they going to take? Because for everyone kind of gaining on their bandwagon or the hype they've got because of last year, last year they missed the playoffs and Portland had a terrible year and we still made the playoffs. Like I just don't think Denver's really even that close to being a contender at West. They might get the eighth seed this year, but even with Millsap, I'm not really sold on this team being a threat to anybody. They're going to be a good team. Um, They're definitely improved, but they still have, I mean, there's still a gap there and I don't think they necessarily closed it. We've talked about their small forward and their point guard. It's just, it's not, it's not NBA quality right now in, in this day and age. Well, in the in the Western Conference, it's awfully hard. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. You know, when they put this team in the East, and they're probably fighting for home court advantage. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I want to see what the relationship is like between Mike Malone and Emmanuel Moutier. Um, Moutier wasn't the starter for most of the season because he was in Malone's doghouse. And now that Jameer Nelson's gone... He's kind of SOL with Moutier is his guy. So if he can nurture him, I mean, coming out of the draft, I assumed he was going to be, if he just developed that jump shot, he was going to be a star. 
I mean, he still has all of that talent. I remember Larry Brown saying at SMU, this is the most polished guy he's seen in a long time. And as you know, Larry Brown's been in the game for a long, long time. Do you think he was in the doghouse because of his lack of jump shot? Or was it, was there any, do you know if there was anything else going on? I mean, he wasn't that good last year. Yeah. He just wasn't living up to expectation or yeah. what people thought. Okay. And, and, and you had to give time to Murray and then Nelson's a real NBA player. So eventually he just lost his spot. Where did Jameer Nelson go? I, basketball reference is listing him as still on the roster. For real? Yeah. And I've looked at the transaction chart for the Nuggets. It doesn't look like he's left. Oh, well, maybe Malone has a stopgap point guard for the season. Should we move on to our final team? Yeah, let's talk about Oklahoma City. Uh, their record last season was 47 and 35, which landed them sixth in the Western Conference and second in the Northwest Division. And their arrivals are Paul George, Raymond Felton, Patrick Patterson, Dakari Johnson, Terrace Ferguson, and Daniel Hamilton. But they did lose Oladipo and Demontis Sabonis and Todd Gibson. Well, so let's start with what you, what Joe? Do you want to start with what you think Paul George brings to Indiana? Or sorry, um, <laughs> what he what he took from Indiana and is put in a suitcase and is bringing to Oklahoma City. <laughs> well, what I what I like, I think he kind of puts him like right back on the map. He's I think he's kind of known for being a little bit unpredictable, but. When he's on, he's on, and he's smooth, and he can defend. He's He is good on both ends of the court. And what I love is that people think of Westbrook as this, like, massive ball hog, which, yeah, okay, he sort of is, but I think that he just kind of had to be also last year. And so adding Paul George takes a little bit of that heat off of him. So I think they're going to – I think they're going to do really well together. And a court spacer. They were so congested. They had no shooting. It was Oladipo and Roberson. I mean, they had no spacing to do any work. And at least now they have Patrick Patterson and Paul George who are, I mean, they're shooters. You have to respect them. You can't let them have wide open shots. Like you you can have Roberson just jack up all you want. Now it's at least guys you have to respect. So this is the most, I think, interesting storyline of the NBA season is Paul George. Obviously, he's on a one-year deal. It's up to Russell Westbrook and the Thunder to make this work and make it work quick because the the trade deadline comes up quicker than you think. And if you don't think you have a chance to sign him, I mean, the Lakers got fined for tampering with this guy. He's he's from California. He's had an affinity uh, to play for the Lakers. He's made it known and clear. How does that work? So this is the toughest team to predict because on paper they look strong. But are they going to have Paul George for the entire year? I mean, is that is that a risk that they can take? Um, so it's going to be up to the, the Thunder to get it off and rolling. So George, so you have to think you have a puncher's chance mm. to keep him. Obviously, you don't trade him unless you think he's absolutely gone. But that's what makes this dynamic so so interesting to me. Because if you look at the playoffs last year, Westbrook shot the ball 30 times. Paul George shot the ball 22 times. That's 52 shots. They each shot 38%. So they are both chuckers. I know they both had to be for their respective teams last year, but one of the two, probably both, they need to reel it in quite a bit. 
and they need to take better shots. So Russ was definitely the MVP last year. He would have gotten my vote, but there were some shots, especially in the fourth quarter that I just cringed at. And Paul George did the exact same thing. So if people think this is going to be like Russ and KD, no, KD is on a completely different planet than Paul George. So while I think they completely fleeced the Pacers in that deal, it's going to be an interesting kind of merging of the two styles. But do you think it is you are going to see their styles change a little bit as they share a little bit more of the offensive responsibility? I mean, you- Westbrook has been Westbrook, though. This has been him for, since the day he was drafted. I don't think he's – I mean, he's probably not going to shoot the ball 30 times, but he's still going to be the focal point. To me, it's going to be if they can get Paul George easy looks. I think Paul George is better suited as the second or third option, and he's probably going up against the second or third best defender. It's rather – you know, so – In one way, it's going to make life easier for the both of them because they're both not going to have to be the focal points of a team's defense. But on the other end, Westbrook's going to have to become a little bit more pass first. I think if you look early in the season, if he's looking to get Paul George off um, early in games, that's going to be a great sign if you're a Thunder fan because Westbrook's the type of guy who could score at ease. But you always want to get your guys going early. It's just the same thing when Kobe and Shaq played. They would feed the big fella, feed the big fella. Kobe would take over down the stretch. So if they go to that that mindset and that philosophy, things could go really, really well for OKC. I think Westbrook is going to change his mindset a little bit. I mean, I, that's a fairly ambiguous comment because obviously <laughs> I'm not in Russell Westbrook's mind. But, um, but I just think that he's kind of at a point in his career where he's like, I, I want to – step up to the next level and I've, I've won MVP, but I want my team to get to the next level. And I think with the addition of Paul George, he maybe is going to reel it in a little and, and change his mindset and change the way that he plays a little bit to feed Paul George and to facilitate those shots and take over when he needs to. I'm just hoping to see a slight change. I mean, I love Westbrook's offense. I love it. I think it's this like wild and crazy haphazard thing of beauty to watch. And I think it's so much fun, but I do want to see just maybe a little bit more maturity. And like you said, smarter shot selections and things like that um, coming with this new duo. Sage, do you want to add anything about strengths of OKC before we move on to what's going to be the secret to beating them? Uh, No, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I think that this year for Russ will feel more like two years ago. I feel, I think he would happily take on three defenders or four defenders every, or five defenders for that matter, uh, every night. I think he welcomes challenges like that, but I think it'll feel more like when he had Kevin Durant on the field where they were players like teams had to decide who am I going to double team here? (laughs) You know, last year it was like they could send as many people as they wanted after Russ because there weren't that other many other big threats. And so I think it'll, for some teams who are going to be making major adjustments, working in new people, I don't think this is going to feel like such a major adjustment to him because it'll feel more familiar to a couple of years ago. Like last year was just kind of this anomaly. It was this year that just happened the way it happened. And now he's going to get back to how he's used to playing. So let's move on and talk about how people are going to beat them though, because come on, they're not going to win 82 games. What's going to be the secret secret for me would be one. 
make them shoot on the perimeter. Um, that's where you want Westbrook. That's where you want George. That's certainly where you want Andre uh, Robertson uh, shooting out there. In fact, I would say probably Patrick Patterson's probably their best threat um, from downtown. And uh, the next one I would be make make others beat you. You don't want to get beat by Paul George getting you know 30 and Russ getting 35. Uh, make guys like Kyle Zingler, Doug McDermott, Stephen Adams score a ton and play above and beyond because more times than not, that's not going to happen. So if teams really focus in on Russ and Paul George and hope that they try to take things on themselves rather than trust their teammates, I think that's going to be kind of the recipe to, to knock off this team. I'll ask a question. So what happened to Steven Adams last year? Was he just clearing path for Russell Westbrook so Russell Westbrook could do whatever he wanted? Uh, what was different between this year and or you know this past year and the year before with Steven Adams? I mean, his homie was trying to get a triple double every night, so he let him box him out a little bit more so Russ can get those boards. And then I mean, he's still a good player. I, I'm wondering what their will Patrick Patterson be their starting for? Because I know they like Enos Cantor off the bench to do post moves and it, uh, in uh, offensive rebound, which is yeah. where I think he belongs. I think I said sure. it on the podcast last time we were here. Like that is going to be the new trend where offensively skilled big men go and be the third big. But yeah, uh, it should be interesting. Uh, I would. Uh, I don't know if I would want my team to like penetrate because they do have some scary bigs. So maybe hit some clutch perimeter shots as well. Cause I don't think if you get hot from three, there's no way that team will be able to match you with the, the iffy three point shooters they have. I think rebounding, you have to be able to rebound against this team. Adams does a great job on the glass. Uh, Westbrook is the, probably the greatest rebounding um, point guard in NBA history. Uh, so you have to limit this team to one opportunity and you have to crash the glass on offense, make them work multiple times um, to stop you on defense. So I think that the boards are the key to beating the Thunder. And Cantor lives for those offensive boards. Oh, yeah. I mean, he wants those easy putback, putbacks for his stats, man. He lives for that shit. He, 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 he does a swim move and... Uh, boxes out faster than anyone I've seen in the NBA recently. Dustin, you started off our discussion with OKC about uh, being the interesting storyline uh, to watch, whether or not Paul George is uh, what's going to happen with him. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he even going to make it past the trade deadline? I think that he will stay there for the whole year. I think his plan is to stay there for the whole year and then make his decision. I, this one, that one I totally believe because you know what? Why not? Why not throw it in with OKC? Because with talent like Russell Westbrook, it's a real good possibility that you could go deep and you could last a long time in the playoffs. And so you might as well make a run for it and see how things shake up at the end. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he ended up staying there. Um, sounds like everybody and their brother is headed to uh, Los Angeles. And like at some point, you know, they can't have everybody on the Lakers next year in two seasons. I mean, greed is a, is a nasty thing. I mean, he's going to make the most money in o Oklahoma. He missed out on getting that 30% of the cap, so he might as well get that extra $50 million instead of losing out on $80 million next offseason. 
But that's the thing. If he doesn't make an all-NBA team, the amount that OKC can pay him over other teams significantly drops. Because he didn't make it last year, and that was all of the, the talk was he didn't make it. So Indiana really lost a lot of leverage. So he has one more year to do it. So that's why I think they're going to try to feed him early to pump up his stats. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting point. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. <laughs> Any other wildcard storylines coming out of OKC y'all are looking forward to? Uh. I agree with everything. (laughs) Okay. Well, we've discussed all four of the main or all four of the other members of the Northwest Conference besides the Trailblazers. We could do an entire podcast, of course, on the Trailblazers strengths, the keys to beating them and the wild card storyline for the year. So let's put that aside and let's, put together two 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 things let's figure out how we think the uh northwest division is going to play out what's going to be the order of the northwest division and what do you think the win losses of the portland trailblazers are going to be who wants to go first um i'll i'll kind of give my win loss prediction i was wrong last year but um I think I've seen a couple of projections that put them at just just at like just under 41 wins, like 40 and a half wins. So I'm going to say I think that's pretty accurate. I think between 40 and 42 wins. I mean, we haven't necessarily done anything huge this offseason. I think the only caveat here is if Nurkic just goes crazy, then we can obviously expect a little more production out of him. And then that changes the way that we play a little bit. But I think we're going to be fairly close to where we were last year. So are you saying 41? Yeah, let's go 41. Okay. What do you think, D-Money? I haven't really thought about it. I usually go through and play Schedule Maker before every season, so I haven't done that yet. But This is just... We'll put an my, asterisk by it then. Yeah, because there's still three weeks until preseason. I think they're still... I think Neil's sitting on a move or two, um, especially for a backup two, and obviously... Um, his infatuation with Mello could change a lot of things, but as the roster stands now, gut instinct says they're going to be better than the next, than, than last year. Um, they knew they kind of messed up by not coming out with that chip on their shoulder. Um, Dame said so as much. I think Nurkic is the ultimate wild card, as Joe mentioned. Um, I don't know if we get him for the full 82. What do we get him? Is he d- during that 20 game stretch where he was a monster? So there's just so many variables. Mm-hmm. I'll go with 47. Um, I think we're going to be a strong team out West. Damon, CJ, they are good enough to, to get us at least to 500. Then you factor in, you know, Nurkic and how well everyone plays off of him. See, I was thinking if you have top, like three top 50 players, we're talking playoffs. So I was, I was going to say 48 wins, but I mean, I, I, I think health is a humongous factor in this. If any of our big three go down, that that win loss record goes down pretty heavily. I'm thinking 45. I think and if we and if we can get 45 with the west and the northwest in the shape that they're in, I think 45 would be a really good year for us. I think we'll be I think we'll be uh better than we were 2 years ago. But 2 years ago we also got kind of lucky in some of the wins that were close and went our way and people were looking the other way. They weren't expecting as strong as team as they got as an opponent. 
So I think uh, 45 wins, and we would consider that a really nice year in this difficult Western Conference. But what about the order of the division? I've got mine. You ready? Yep. You guys can argue with me. I'll start with mine. I think OKC is going to win it. And I think that's going to be followed by Minnesota. And then the Blazers and Denver. And then Utah. I think Blazers and Denver may even tie again. It may be just, it might come just right down to the wire. But I think OKC is going to win it. What do y'all think? I think the only thing that I would bank on at this point is OKC winning it. Mm-hmm. I think there are so many other components and wild cards with all the other teams that, and I, I want to see like the first couple of games first. <laughs> I mean, we're doing it goes. three weeks early, so things might right. drastically change when we post <laughs> when you post yeah. it on Saturday. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I had a good day today, but I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. I think Oklahoma City's one, Portland's two, Denver's three, Minis four, and Jazz are five. Ooh, you have Portland two followed by Denver and then Minnesota. So yeah. you don't think that Minnesota is going to reach those heights? Yeah. Dustin. Hmm. So I think you have a better chance at hitting Powerball than correctly picking these five teams in order. Uh, this is just a gauntlet of a division. I haven't seen division this tough and this well evenly balanced, and probably ever since since I've been a fan. Um, I do think it's tough (laughs) at five. I will go with um, the Denver nuggets. I I don't think they're ready. Um, It's really close with them in Utah, but I'll put Utah four because to your point, Tara, um, I think they are going to play above their heads a little bit this year with that first year without Hayward. They're going to come out and try to prove to everyone that they are more than just one player. Um, at three, I like Oklahoma City. I think the Paul George dynamic is going to take a lot longer to to work out the kinks than a lot of people think. And honestly, their role players kind of suck. Mm-hmm. If they have an off shooting night, I, who is going to score for them? I mean, I just I don't see it. One and two is a toss up. I'm going to go the Blazers one because I'm a just <laughs> an unashamed homer. But two, I've got Minnesota. Unlike Sage, I think they've got one of the best players in the division in Towns. He is going to pick up his level of play as he left off. Um, Butler is the perfect two. I think they eventually could move Wiggins and get better. But those two enough. And just adding Taj Gibson, adding Jamal Crawford, um, that is finally going to pay off. I'm not certain they're going to do a lot of damage in the playoffs because it's been so long. But regular season... Um, I got them too. And I'm going to go Blazers one. I have a lot of faith in Nurkic. Nurkic provides such a matchup problem more than almost any other player in, in the division. And so if he's healthy, which I'm banking on, um, I, I think Portland's the team to beat because we saw during that stretch, uh, we were knocking off teams left and right. And it was because of him and you factor him with Damon CJ. I like him, but I am extremely biased. Oh my gosh. I love it. We need to end on a high note with that. You know, it's been a long summer with us watching everybody, all these other teams make all these moves and the Blazers holding steady and watching Crab go away. And it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of all the teams who are seeing lots of movement and uh, to just look at our team and think, what what are you doing? What's going on? But I, I like 
you know, how you say we did actually have a significant change at the end of the year and it wasn't, he wasn't fully incorporated. We still have a, a, a really interesting story to unfold as we watch and, and see what he becomes. So I think we should uh, wind it up with uh, Dustin predicting the Blazers winning the <laughs> division. But the point was really that we all, I think, had different ideas because this division is going to be so difficult to predict. And it's been really fun to talk about. So thanks, you guys, for coming on with us tonight. Um, you want to take a sec to tell people about Holy Backboard and what you talk about and how to get a hold of you if they want to listen or follow you? Uh, we are on iTunes, you know, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, Google Play. You can find us at Holy Backboard PDX. Um, also, all over social at Holy Backboard on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's a weekly podcast uh, with me and my guy Sage. We kind of just banter back and forth, talk about trending topics, uh, week in review, preview the upcoming games. You know, give all of the hot takes, and you know, talk about what's going on and. Um, we have a really good time doing it too. It's one of the things I look forward to most um, every Monday. You can catch me on Xbox Live once this 2K drops. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> Dustin is shaking his head, not as big uh, at 2K. He dropped his handle. We gave him two times last year, and he, <laughs> he messed up his handle twice, so he's banned from ever pubbing his Xbox Live handle. So oh, it's the Sage edit. 504. No, you can feel free to edit that out of this podcast. He, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's at his quota. If you see an Asian guy dropping dimes, it's most likely me. <laughs> well, I love listening to the Holy Backboard podcast. You guys always have great enthusiasm and an incredible recollection for like everything that has ever happened for yeah, it's any Blazer team in my recollection. It's kind of amazing and I really admire it. So I suggest that uh, Blazers Edge listeners check it out. Joe, you got any last words for us before we sign off for the night? My last, yeah, my last words are, I really, I hope in these predictions that I'm wrong because I want to see this team just go to the next level. I've been waiting my whole life. In fact, while you guys were sitting there and Dustin was talking about the Blazers taking the Northwest West division, I got a little teary eyed because I pictured them winning the championship one day. And I just <laughs> I want that to happen in my lifetime so badly. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they just go nuts and they win 60 games and that I eat my words and that we just see this team elevated to the very next level. That would be so, so fun. And you know what LeVar Ball says? You got to speak it into existence. So here we go. We're speaking. It, that's the step one. 60 wins. <laughs> be there right. it is. It would be, it that's would my be new so fun. <laughs> It would be so fun to watch these guys go on a tear and uh, it would, you know, it just makes everybody feel good, makes the whole city feel great. The whole state, you know, gets involved. It would be great. And, you know, who's to say that this isn't the year that that happens. Thanks again for joining us tonight, you guys. It was great previewing our second annual Northwest Division preview. Look forward to talking to you later on in the season. And then next year we'll do it a third time in a row. Be great. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you later. Bye.